Well, good morning. Um, you get, do you guys remember your, your time as you graduated your, your college? I, I can't believe that they're going to be graduating next week. Um, yesterday, as a bunch of the guys were preparing for women's uh, uh, breakfast, uh, we were talking, and Yang goes, yeah, I'm going to go back to Portland to go to my 40th um, high school reunion. And Monty sticks his head out and says, I got 10 years up on you. And I just can't believe how time passes by. And those of you guys who just came up here, um, I, I really, really bless. And I really, really um, wish you guys well in, in the immediate future. Um, last week, as I was driving um, the praise team that was up here from SoCal down to um, San Jose International Airport, uh, Pastor Peter kind of gave me a kind of a God sighting and says, you know, Pastor Ben, I really, really was blessed uh, for the weekend. Not, not only did we just, you know, praise, but I, as I looked at your congregation, it, it was really, really nice that everybody got together and we, we were doing some yard work. But uh, what he was trying to kind of say, you know what, um, one of the problems that we're having at my church, his church, is that the older generation and the younger generation don't really mix and as he saw our congregation coming together, working together, laughing together, um, he really was kind of like, wow, that's, that's really, really beautiful. And so as he was kind of um, just being kind of jealous for our church, uh, I, I just want to say thank you. I really want to say thank you for the older generations and the younger generation coming together to be able to become this body of church, body of Jesus Christ called Christian Layman Church. Oh, so as you know, that we are on a sermon series called Tough Time Equals Tough Faith, where uh, Apostle Peter can focuses on the importance of believers bearing up under unjust sufferings, yet continuing to live out their spiritual life worthy of their calling. And if you were to uh, look at what is the key verse in 1 Peter, is probably 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, as the writer of Peter says, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing something wrong, but if you suffer for doing the good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now, if you were to look at this verse, and if I were to put it in my own words, I think 1 Peter might be called the book of Job in the New Testament, because it provides us encouragement for us to endure during our tough times the way that Jesus would want us to live. And, and this endurance is similar to Job's, because he was the one who suffered despite being righteous in the Old Testament. And Peter kind of draws up this blueprint for us to persevere in our faith. And, and the question is why? Well, it's because it isn't just enough for us to simply get up every morning and truce through each day, but instead, each lesson in 1 Peter is pushing us through the troubles and recognizing that our temporary presence here on earth while walking in holiness 
and hope for eternity as people of faith. You know, honestly, as Caitlin just kind of mentioned, you know, as people of God, as you enter into the house of the Lord, I'm sure right now there are millions of things that is going through your minds. Did I forget to turn off my gas? Or did I lock the door? Or whatever. But, you know, I'm sure there's those of us who are in this room right now going through some tough times, tough situations. And I believe that 1 Peter is kind of a remedy or a blueprint for us to look at as we're going through tough times, which equates us to tough faith. And so, if you remember, okay, you know, a lot has happened, right? A lot has happened. And if you remember, Pastor Eric started us off by mentoring having this kind of a kingdom joy in the midst of our tough times. And two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Eric demonstrated that one of the byproducts of us going through tough times is having or going through or illuminating holiness, and today, today, I want to kind of add on to this thought of holiness, because chapter 2, verse 1, Peter starts off with a word, therefore. Okay? So whenever we hear the word therefore, it's alluding that past, uh, Apostle Peter is adding on to a previous thought that he didn't continue, or he didn't stop. He wants to continue on. And it's exactly what chapter 2, verse 1 starts off, therefore. Now, today, I'm going to do something very different. I'm not going to start off with 1 Peter chapter 2, but I'm going to actually start off in John chapter 17. And I'm all blaming on Pastor Calvin and Kaylin. Because, you see... The pastoral staff are already preparing for our next sermon series, and they both, who are going to preach the next sermon series, they decided that, you know what, they're going to go over the book of John. And so, you know what, I don't know why, but I started to read through the book of John, even though that I wasn't going to preach through it. And I have read through the book of John many, many times, and I love the book of John, how it starts off by Jesus being the light, and he became flesh. And I especially love John chapter 15, as he's going through the Kidron Valley, and he's telling his disciples that, you know what, I am the vine, you are the branches, as he's actually going into his last week of of death. Or the book of John, do you guys know that there are no parables in the book of John? None. Other three Matthew, Mark, and Luke talks about the parables, but the book of John never talks about the parables. And like I said, I've read the book of John many, many times, but this time, the Holy Spirit had me stop at chapter 17. And he began to kind of stir in me a question. What's the question? What kind of a church does God want for CLC? I mean, what's the goal for our church? Now, we, we have this rally cry that Yvonne just kind of, you know, cried out, shouted out, right? And we shout it out every morning, right? We say, serve the world, serve the world, right? 
that our motto is a CLC is a place where we make disciples who love God, love people, and we just shouted out this morning. But seriously, what is the purpose of a church? Now, if you were to ask someone like Golden Wang, he might say, the purpose of the church is to evangelize and to carry out the Great Commission. I saw him you know, bending his head, and all of us, and I said his name, he shook up, looked up. And I apologize. I apologize, Gordon, for putting you in the spot. Or if you were Will Louie, the purpose of the church is to worship God. Sorry, Will, are you here? He's in the back. Okay, sorry, Will. Okay. Even though this might not be what you're thinking. Now, we've all kind of sort of thought about this question, right? What is the purpose of our church or the church? So as I began to read the book of John, the Holy Spirit kind of stopped me at chapter 17, and my mind began to kind of wonder. Yes, the Great Commission is very important and is very, very vital. But, but the prayer in John chapter 17 that I'm going to show you right now shows us that this is not the first priority of the church. Not to evangelize the world, not the Great Commission, but of a great devotion. This idea of consecration to God, to give God the glory. You see, the church exists first to radiate God's glory. So as we read through John chapter 17, I'm going to give you a selective verses. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And glorify your son so that your son may also glorify you. Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Verse 6, even though the world isn't mentioned, notice the intent of this flow. I have manifest your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world they are yours. You have gave, gave them to me, and now they kept your words. Verse 9, I pray for that. I do not pray for the world. But for these whom who have given me, they have given yours. You all are mine are yours, and you are mine, and I am glorifying them. And now I want you to go down to verse 22. And the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that that may be one just as we are one. And finally, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you give me may be with me where I am, that they might behold your glory, which you have given to me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. I've given you five verses in the, in, in the chapter of verse 17, and now if I actually counted right, and I did, and I counted multiple times, I counted eight times the word glory, glorify, or glorified, and mentioned in this prayer. Now, uh, talk about a religious-sounding word, right? Glorify, glory. Now, I mean, 
if there was a stained glass word, this will be it, glorified. It kind of has a hollow ring to it, but what does it really, really mean? What is the word glory, glorified? And that's kind of the importance, the basis, the foundation of today's message. So for us to understand this word before we go into First Peter chapter 2 is vital because it is the very thing that motivated Jesus or his entire life and the very thing that he prays for principally up front, first of all, for himself and for the churches to come in the future. So what does the glory mean? What does this word really, really mean? Now, it, throughout the entire Bible, it has two meanings. But because for the time's sake, I'm only going to explain to you the first meaning. And the first meaning means it is a visible expression of God. The word glory means it's a visible expression of God. It is what you would expect God to be when he shows up when he's here, his bride binding rapturous, wow. It, it is when Moses prays for, in Exodus chapter 33, do you remember when, when I was preaching the stiff, naked people, right? That I said, you know what, Moses saw the glory and he says, I want to see, I want to show me, show me your glory. It is also what Isaiah noticed in a vision when he saw the Lord high and lifted up train of his robe filled with the temple and the angels cried out holy 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 the whole earth is full of his glory in isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 you see that is a visible expression of god and that's exactly what jesus is referring to in verse 5 of chapter 17 what he says had he had been in heaven came to earth he was going home and he said okay i'm ready for that glory back and then toward the end of that prayer, he says, I want these people who have followed me to be with, to see me in my glory. Okay, then the question is, how do we radiate his glory? How do we show this amazing glory to the people around us? How do we re radiate God's glorious glory? moment you know last week um one of the person emailed to the pastoral staff saying that pastor ben throughout the whole worship there were angel angelic beings at, at our church there, there's got to be something we did right there is something that we did in order for the angels to show up and the question to you this morning is that how do we radiate in god's glory well, Eugene Peterson put it this way. As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life that is energetic, blessings with holiness. Let me repeat that. As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of a life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. I, I, I love that. Shaped by God's life, blazing with holiness. 
There you go, right there. As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, life energetic and blazing with holiness. So how do we do this? How do we radiate his glory? And and, and as I was reading chapter 17, another question kind of came to my mind. If we are to be the followers, and we have gathered together as a family of God, then should there be a family resemblance? Pulled into a way, life shaped by God's life, life energetic and blazing with holiness. If we are gathered together as people of God, shouldn't there be a family resemblance that emulates what God is? You know, uh, people, when, when people see my family, people often say, I'm sure this is the same thing that you guys said too, right? About your family. People often say, man, your son is a carbon copy of you. Now, my son but my daughter did the same thing as they were growing up they would touch my wife's hair as they would go to sleep now the reason I kind of brought this up is that you know what there was no way that I taught my kids they were infants there was no way they could actually see what their father was doing and they copied what I was doing But the idea is this, that if we are a people of God, shouldn't there be a family resemblance to our Father? And whenever God the Father feels when he's exemplified by his glory, when when people of non-believers come and see you and and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I, I know who you are. Aren't you a Christian? 
And, and, and they say to you, and I have, ne I have never heard, right? They, they might say to you, you are a carbon copy of the Father up in heaven. Has anybody said that to you? Or even come up to you and says, you know what, I know you, you must be a Christian. And I don't know about you, as I hear those words, you and your son is a carbon copy, that makes me so, so proud. And I imagine that's the same way that goes for God when God hears the non-believers and say, you know what, you've got to be a Christian because I know the Father. You are a carbon copy of the Father up in heaven. And God might be feeling very, very proud whenever people say that you and our Father resemble each other. And people of CLC, holiness is a reflection, a family resemblance. The idea that God is separate, different from all of his creations, both in his essential nature and the perfection of his attributes, and so instead of building a wall around his apartness, God calls us unto him to share his apartness as God commands us to be holy, for he is holy. And that's exactly what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16 says. But as he who has called you who is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written that God is holy. Defined by the word wholeness, W-H-O-R-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, -E -E -S, right? Wholeness. You see, when you are holy, you become whole. You become complete. You become well-rounded. The closer you follow God, the closer you get to God and pursue God, you become more like God and you become a whole. And so Peter adds onto this idea of holiness from chapter 1. And he starts therefore in chapter 2. And he says, if you want to 
1 Peter chapter 2, this is what he says. Therefore, that laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Lord, word, I'm sorry, and you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is And so, chapter 1 kind of describes on which to pursue holiness, verse 15 and 16. And chapter 2 comes and says, you know what, therefore, I want you to avoid these kinds of things. Now, have you guys ever seen this comic strip? This is one of my favorite comic strips that I used to have in my office at a previous church. It's a little squirrel in, in, in a, in a psych- psychiatrist's office. Like, can you imagine a, a little squirrel lying on a couch? with his little hands, like, behind his head or whatever together, and spilling his little squirrel guts, right? I mean, I mean that figuratively, right? And he says, this is what the captain, captain means. Hey, Doc, but when I learned that you are what you eat, it was then I realized I was nuts. And so kind of Peter lays out these horizontal sins that will take away our longing or our spiritual appetite for holiness. Yeah, I have a friend. He's a health junkie. Now, you know what? Whenever I see my friend, I, I think of either Dion or Walt. I mean, the guys, I just can't believe how fit they are, right? Okay? Now, whenever we get together, he looks at me with a kind of a gray kind of a... And he often says, Ben, the food that you eat need to give you the nutrients in order for you to grow. Duh. But to repair damages, to prevent diseases, anything you put in your mouth except for water needs to provide nutrients, not take away nutrients. And if it does, it's all poison. Okay, Ben? And then he, he often says, he looks at my food, okay, and, and he shakes, right? he shakes his head as I'm eating my triple-decker burger, seasoned fries with Diet Coke. That, that, that was actually one of, one of the pictures that I took. And so, Peter lists these five junk foods for us to avoid. So let's go through them. First of all on the list is verse 1, malice. Laying aside all malice. Another word for this is actually ill will. It is an attitude that eventuates into a word that I said and deeds are done. And it kind of begins with inside, but eventually when you speak it out, it's actually malice or ill will. It could be even looked at complaining, being grouchy, grumpy people. You know, people say that as you get older and older and older, you become grumpier. And that's why we have a saying, grumpy old men, right? Grumpy old women. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And malice among Christians will quickly cause us to lose our appetite. Peter says this, get rid of it. Don't eat it. The 
second on the list is actually the sea. Now, Peter, who was a fisherman, understood this word very well because it is actually a, a kind of a fisherman's term. It actually means to bait a hook. Deceit means to bait a hook. Now, if you're a fisherman, you probably understand this word because what you're doing to the fish, you're baiting a hook. You're, you're deceiving those fishes. You are lying to those little fishes to take the hook by you covering up with something else. And the fish looks, oh, looks so good and they actually take it. As you're baiting the hook, it's deceit. You kind of get what I'm trying to get it at. That's the word that has come from. And deceit among people is when you play a trick in order for you to get your own ways. And we don't we do this? We do it with our husbands and wives, right? We say things. In order to get our ways, we kind of deceive other people. You're, you're manipulating them. You're being dishonest with them. Whether it's over a lie or a clever trick, you are playing a deceit. You're baiting a hook. And now the third on the list is hypocrisy. Now this word probably we all know because the world tells us that the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Now we all know, I've said it many, many times, that hypocrites are stage actors. It has become a prominent word in our own English language. You see, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be someone that they are not. If somebody pretends to be a smarter than they are, cooler than they are, hipper than they are, or more spiritual than they are, then we are a hypocrite. Next is envy. Now, envy is actually a very, very slippery term. It is what one theologian calls it, the last sin that Christians will ever confess because it is actually very, very ugly. Envy is what goes inside of our heart. No one sees it, only you. When somebody is blessed around you, but you're mad because they're the one who got the fortunate and you are not the one who's getting that. You see, you are getting mad because it happened to them and not to you. And you're hiding it inside. Or you become joyful because some misfortune has happened to other people and you're smiling inside especially the ones that you don't like. It's an attitude that says, hey, I should be the one who had been receiving that, but I didn't. And it breeds an attitude of bitterness deep within. But other people will never know because you're coming up. You're putting up a front. You're putting up a facade. this list, on this junk food list, is evil speaking. Or a better term, slander, some other translation translates. Literally, this Greek word means to speak down, talk down, but yet, this is a common word that we all know, gossip. 
a cheap shot in a conversation. It, it could be raised in eyebrows. It could be something, a sentence that you could have unfinished. You start saying, oh, well, then you stop. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything bad, but you just did. You're just talking down on that person's reputations, backbiting, and even spreading rumors. Now, there are many, many applications for the rest of the first Peter chapter 2, and all of a sudden, just God told me to stop. And I realized something very important is that, you know what, there are tough times that the world gives us. Three weeks ago, Pastor Eric talked about his relationship with his mom right now who's going through cancer. I'm sure there are right now in this pew, there are people who are going through difficult times, tough times. The world gives to us, right? But I realize something more of an essence or more of an importance that, you know what, sometimes problems arise within the church. As Peter lays out these troubled times for the Christians in the early Christian churches. Why? Because the Roman soldiers are coming after him, right? Coming after the Christians. Why? Because Nero is blaming all the Christians for the fire that happened in Rome. They're coming. Their persecution outside. And yet in chapter 2, he talks about these five traits for us to get rid of. Why? Because sometimes these traits cause us for others to stumble in the church. Tough times come from outside, but sometimes it comes within the church. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I regret or I don't like is when people call me. Usually when people call me, they want to come and talk to me about certain things that they don't really like about the church. When people call, hey, can we have dinner? Can we talk? Can we have a meeting? You know, it's usually not because, Pastor Ben, you know what, you're doing a great job. I will take you out to a fancy restaurant. It's not because of that. Usually, people call you or talk to you because I have an issue. I have a beef with someone else. Or maybe that's you, Pastor Ben. And so people call me, and you know what, I dread picking up the phone. I do. Like, like sometimes I'm like, okay, what is that person going to say? And I remember one conversation that I had. It was late afternoon in my office. I got a call and said, Pastor Ben, can I meet with you tomorrow? And all of a sudden, you know what, my spidey tingling sensation goes, okay, there's got to be a problem. So where do you want to meet? What time do you want to meet? So I go. We're having coffee. And usually, once again, I told you, it's not because of good nature. And this two couple sat with me and says, Pastor Ben, we're leaving church. By the way, this is not our church, guys, okay? And I'm listening. So what's wrong? Well, I'm leaving church because of so-and-so person. Okay, so what did that person do to you? Well, you know what? Every Sunday morning, he comes in, he sits right here, very front row, and as the, the, the praise comes, he's raising his hands, he's singing, hallelujah, amen. He's playing all the holiness that, you know what, any Christian would, 
And during Monday through Saturdays, back Fridays, gossiping, and I just cannot stand going to a church, looking the back of his head, having him raise hand. And on regular days, he's just gossiping, backbiting, not only me and my wife, but also all the members of the church. Has that ever happened to you? Really? Somebody came up to you and said, you know what, stop gossiping. Stop slandering. Once again, isn't it enough for the world to cause us to stumble, and yet there's so much divisions. There's so many things within the church that allows us to divide. And Apostle Peter lists these five things, these five junk food for us to avoid, these five things. And we love to gossip. We do. And I'll be honest, I, I am one of those people too. Oh, did you hear? Did you, did you, did you hear about? And we do that. And by the time that story comes to you, man, it's been exaggerated. It always happens. It's never the truth. And Apostle Peter talks about in the later chapter of chapter 2, he says, you know what, you are a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation, but why are you feeding off these five junk foods that allows the division of the church? I, I don't know what is happening in that church I don't know what, what made him stop from being holy and allowing these people to say, get rid of these five things. But Apostle Peter commands us that I want you to stop. Therefore, lying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn baby, desire the pure miracle of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Rather than feeding upon the word of God, if you feed upon these things, you're going to cause havoc, tough times within the church. Now, I want you to take a look at verse 2 as newborn babies. So I began to, why did, why did Peter kind of contrast us to newborn babies? Now, I'm offended. I'm, I'm not a newborn baby. No, that's not what he's saying. Did you guys know the highest growth of growth in a human life is in the infant stage? Did you guys know, seriously guys, that in the infant stage, as newborn babies, as they are craving for the mom's milk, that is when they grow so. Like, I can't imagine, right? The first year of growth, that's the fastest, the, the, the most rapid growth. You guys, those of you guys who are mother, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Every day is different. And that's exactly what he's saying, insinuating as, as a newborn babies crave for the Word of God. Now, here's the hard part. I think this is probably the, the most difficult homework or extra credit that I've actually dished out. 
this week. If you were the one who gossips, if you actually talk bad about certain people in our church, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a heart of repentance. Now, one step further, I think this is the hardest thing that anyone can do. I want you to go and follow, follow up. Don't just stop there. I want you to go and apologize to that person if the Holy Spirit is urging you to go. Now, once again, the world sees us as hypocrites. And God is saying, emulate, imitate. I I want you to maintain this holiness that we talked about in John chapter 17. And Apostle Peter is saying, get rid of these. I I know it's going to be hard. You know what? I I love my church. I love our church. But I feel like as I'm preparing for this message, I feel like the message to all of us, stop slandering. Stop envying. Stop malicing. Stop gossiping. It's enough that the tough time comes from outside where we should be able to come to the house of God to be able to get restored, to be healed. And yet within the church, there are divisions because of these five things. Now, once again, I told you guys, I will never know. (laughs) Some other people will never know what you have done unless you actually kind of go and say, you know what, I I really, really am sorry. So the extra credit, like I said, guys, I'm not going to ask you, did you guys do this or not? But you know what, start with this heart of repentance. That, Lord, you know what? I am so sorry for talking bad about certain, certain people. Because Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 2 says, Once again, therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, as walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Wouldn't it be so awesome that God up in heaven says, you know what, I am so proud of, you could fill the names, because you know what, we are the imitators. We resemble our God up in heaven. One of the things, we're going to take communion, and we're going to start once again from the people in the back. You know, one of the key verse or key word that Jesus Christ keeps saying to us is that from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that I want you to remember. I want you to remember what I have done. And sometimes we really do not 
resemble sometimes. And we don't really remember what God has done in our lives. And you have tasted, for God is so gracious. For those who have known, who have tasted, that God is a gracious God. And I'm praying over our congregation that we would avoid these five junk food. On the 